0: Hi, my name is Pete Skazer, and I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. I'm calling this podcast 10 Leadership Lessons from the Life of David, 10 Leadership Lessons from the Life of David. And I try to imagine if David was sitting down with you and with me towards the end of his life, and we asked him, hey, you know, what tips on leadership might you have for us? What would you say? Again, he was a man after God's own heart, uh, very flawed but brilliant in so many other ways. So here's the following that I think might be included in his top 10. Uh, and they are, for me, the top 10 that I've really been able to drink from over the years. And here's number one. I think you would say, hey, be yourself. Uh, be yourself. I mean, David was a groundbreaker in his day, and that flowed from his high level of differentiation, which we talked about in the last two podcasts. I mean, his entire leadership trajectory beginning from his earliest decision to remove Saul's armor, which didn't fit, uh, really consisted of one courageous act of leadership after another. Again, just the way he, he was himself. I mean, he he, he broke through uh, in the way he fought Goliath, of course. He, he broke through in the kind of leader he was, the, the expressive worship that he initiated uh, for all of Israel out of the Mosaic model. I mean, he just reminds me of that woman with the alabaster jar of perfume, uh, at the end of the Gospels, that with all her emotionality, which was was, was being criticized by the disciples, uh, but yet, you know, Jesus affirms her and said, wherever she goes, this will be preached, her name will be remembered, or this will be remembered, uh, wherever the Gospels preached. And here's David just dancing before the ark, and again, being criticized by, uh, you know, Michael and others of being so expressive. He just, he wasn't afraid of what other people thought. And, um, you know, and he was able to let other people be uh, themselves as well. But it was just he was just so uh, free to walk out his uniqueness. And again, I uh, I'm going to do going to do a podcast on this in July 10th at two o'clock, and I want to invite you to it. Uh, on this issue of differentiation, because that's what being yourself is all about. We've talked about it the last couple of weeks, and so many questions have emerged around it. And so if you look on our website, I want to encourage you to join me at 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time for a podcast on this issue of, you know, growing in differentiation as a leader to be yourself. The second lesson besides be yourself is, I think you would say, be faithful in the little. You know, be faithful in the little. Remember the lion and the bear. Uh, there's There's a section where he speaks in 1 Samuel 17, uh, as he speaking to Saul about his desire to go up in front of Goliath and attack this nine-foot giant. And he's just a boy, uh, and the king is reminded him of that. But David says to Saul, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And he says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And, and he remembers his past, the little things, where he was faithful. Uh, and that he killed a lion. You know, God enabled him to slay a lion and God enabled him to slay a bear. And so here he is before a whole new challenge in his life. And he he remembers smaller challenges where he saw God's faithfulness and God's power move through him. That verse this is from 1 Samuel 17, 36 and 37 changed my life in actually in, in 2006 Uh, I mean, it was, it was such a revelation about the lion and the bear. And I was at a moment of uh, having to step up as a, a leader in the executive functions of leadership. And I was frightened because it seemed like all I had was failure in that area my entire life. And it was very much driven by, by fear. And so through a lot of, you know, wise counselors, counseling, wrestling, time with God. It was like Matthew chapter four, being in the desert. Uh, I, I I just, God just so came to me about the lion and the bear and that, hey, Pete, I have slain through you uh, many lions and bears, maybe not as big as the one you're about to confront, the Goliath in front of you, but, uh, you know, make a list of where I've come through for you. And I had really quite a list. And out of that list came 10 questions uh, about, uh, you know that I, I began to ask myself to grow in my own differentiation. In fact, these ten questions are so significant. I'm going to make it the next podcast. Uh, but I. But the key lesson, lesson about being faithful in the little, or remembering the lion and the bear, uh, is that the view about your about yourself and God profoundly affects the way you're going to lead your life. And actually, a whole book was written by this by a Stanford psychologist. Uh, Stanford University psychologist named Carol Dweck called Mindset. It's very interesting. It's out of 20 years of her research. And basically, he, she contrasts fixed mindsets with growth mindsets and mindset. And basically, some people have, have a fixed mindset that I can't do this, I'm not smart enough, I'm not able, and, and they fail and they quit. Others have a growth mindset where they say, you know what? I'm going to stretch myself. I'm going to stick to it. Even if I things aren't going well and I have failure, I'm going to get up and I keep going. And really, David has a, a growth mindset. And to me, it's a secular study of this biblical passage here of David just sees that God is faithful, God's brought me this far, and he's going to bring me all the way through. Uh, and so I, I just think of my my own life uh, of the lions and the bears and whether it was coming to learn how to preach, learning how to lead a church slowly at different every size, being a father, a spouse, uh, even now getting into emotionally healthy, you know, discipleship and now, you know doing things like this podcast and learning about blogs and Twitter and Facebook and entering that whole world, which was not my generation, uh, saying, you know what? God's enabled me to to slay some lions and bears in the past, and he can bring me to this next one in in the future. And uh, so let me ask you, what are some challenges before you? What are some Goliaths in front of you? And what does it mean for you to remember the lion and the bear, to, to make a few notes and say, hey, God was faithful here, uh, and God's going to be faithful before this next Goliath in front of me. So again, the first one is uh, be yourself. The second is be faithful in the little. That is, remember the lion and the bear. Third is David would say. Third lesson to don't forget is wait uh, on the Lord and take the long view. You know, wait on the Lord and take the long view. David did not rush. Uh, into the kingship of Israel, he was very patient as Saul was going through his own process. Saul actually sought to kill him, uh, but he he suffered uh, in waiting. And like Jesus, he learned obedience from what he suffered. I mean, three times he is told he's anointed to be king, uh, but he doesn't take it. He he waits on God for that right timing. Um, God says no to him about building the temple. He waits. Uh, it's going to be Solomon's task. He, he, we don't see him in, impulsive uh, we see him in the wilderness, uh, fleeing for his life for years with a uh, ragtag army. doesn't look very kingly or anointed, but he waits. He, he's got a secret history with God. He's, he's cultivating a, a deep walk with God. It's much like Jesus hanging on the cross. I mean, it's been said his the second greatest miracle of Jesus was, was after the resurrection was not jumping off the cross as he's being taunted you know, he trusts in God, but he can't save himself. You know, jump off the cross if you're the Son of God. They taunted him. It was, it was demonic, but Jesus waits on the Father. It's one of the biggest lessons of life for, I know it has been for me, and I believe for every leader, it's, it's Psalm 37.7, wait on the Lord and be patient uh, and patiently wait for him. You know, Wait on the, be still, I'm sorry, it's, this is the quote, Psalm 37.7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I know when I rush, I'm bypassing something. It's usually pain, uh, or it's the unknown of having to trust. And waiting is all about trusting. Uh, you know, as Jesus said in you know John 6, you know, what must we do to do the work God requires? He was asked, and Jesus says, the work of God is this. There's only one work. It's not multiple works. The work of God is this, to trust in the one he has sent, or to believe or trust, be trusting in the one he has sent. And uh, again, I... I I've made so many decisions of not waiting and trusting and I uh everything from planting churches uh, too quick. I didn't want to rush. but I actually did wait in recognizing that my role uh when I was lead pastor at new Life fellowship uh was especially towards the latter years was to dig deeper of quality and transition versus you know expansion into multi-site during that season and just staying with. Uh, leadership is is often quite boring, quite mundane. Uh, it's day after day. It's really waiting on the Lord because it seems so uh, unglamorous. Uh, you know, waiting is not comparing uh, yourself to other people. It's it's staying with God, when I just can't see much of what's happening. Uh, they're just like seeds going in the ground, and so uh, a third leadership lesson. David would say, David would say to all of us, just just wait. You know, and take the long view on the Lord. God will show you the timing uh, if you'll be patient. The fourth lesson is, and David would say to us is, and say to you and say to me is, hey, cultivate uh, your love for God. That is delighting in him. Cultivate that first, not being a leader first. Uh, you know, David hungers and thirsts for God like a deer pants for water. I mean, he delights in the word of God. He meditates on it day and night. He writes that when under pressure, he has one overriding priority. And it's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. And it's a verse worth meditating on and memorizing. Here he is, he's surrounded by enemies, seeking to break through the walls, rape his, you know, his children, his family, destroy every living person in the walls. And if I was him, I'd be saying, God, smash these enemies. God, you know, send fire from heaven and burn them up. But he says, one thing I ask of the Lord. Uh, before all that, he asks of the Lord you know, to gaze upon his beauty, to seek his face, you know he's cultivating love for God. It's, you know, that's why he says, seven times a day, do I praise you?" You know, Psalm uh, 119, verse 124. And and so w- w- you're a leader, and you're, if you're like me, you've got a lot of things to do, and a lot of pressure, and you've got some goals. But we all have the same, regardless of how you're leading, whether it's in a church, a ministry, a nonprofit, a university, uh, an organization, a business. Uh, we all have the same first work, and that first work is to seek God, to love God, to be with God. Uh, And i actually learned this uh, from monks and uh, Trappist monks in particular, and the richness of Benedictine spirituality that goes back to the sixth century and Benedict's rule, which is the first work is to be with God. That's our first work. That's why I like the term daily office. The word office is a Latin word that means work daily office. My first work is to be with God, to praise him, to seek him in 2003. I got it. Uh, it actually changed my leadership forever that uh, you know God is seeking God is first. and that's one of the qualities of David that made him so great. Uh, and so your identity and my identity is not being a leader. My identity is being a, a, a contemplative, a seeker of God, a, a passionate pursuer of God, a lover of God, a lighter in God. that's that's my identity. So the day will come where you will not be a leader, I will not be a leader. Uh, if God gives us years and we'll grow older and our influence will wane, that's fine because my identity is not in that. My identity is in him. And we're first free, again, from other people's opinions and positions and titles and all, that, all those projections from people. Uh, we're just a free people. The fifth lesson, uh, I, I think that's such a critical one from the life of David. And he would say to us is monitor your heart towards authority monitor your heart towards authority. Uh, David is incredible here. I mean, Saul, his authority for years, who was king over him, was a really poor leader. Uh, Nonetheless, and and Saul was out to kill him. I mean, Saul was uh, influenced by demons. He was taking the country down a wrong road. People's lives were being damaged. He was hurting folks. But we find David when he's being chased by Saul. Could you imagine The person who's an authority over you, not just not doing a good job, they're actually seeking to kill you. Uh, And David's running for his life. He's in a cave and he has a chance to kill Saul. And he says, oh, my Lord, the king, and he prostrates himself, bows down with his face to the ground. I mean, he's just, he's just submissive to authority in such an incredible way. But, you know, in some ways, bad leader, being under bad leadership is almost like Normal and healthy for you, especially if you're young, uh, because there are great leadership lessons that can be learned no other way. To learn to be under uh, authority in a mature, humble way, and that when you've got disagreement, you appeal humbly, don't demand. Uh, because this issue of, of how you handle authority has to do with family of origin and how we handled how authority was handled in our own families and our own relationship with our parents. I know for myself, God placed leaders uh, that I struggled with uh, for years. First twelve years of my leadership, it seemed like I was consistently under leaders that frustrated me, and it probably it said more about me than than them. But I felt often like a horse in in a a stall, kicking the walls, and I was like a Mac. I felt like a Mack truck sometimes in a in a Volkswagen or a Cooper car. I was like, God, just let me lead, and I always seem to be under these constraints. And and uh, I remember the Lord whispering in my heart, uh, you know, in my late twenties, uh, you know, you're not ready. And this is my you know, it's my gift to you. And God loved me too much to let me go uh, too quickly uh, and begin exercising authority until I actually learned to be under authority as well. Uh, it's just a deep lesson not that, you, not that you don't ever move away from a t- particular authority figure or organization or ministry and do something else it's it's how you do it it's the spirit of your heart and David just models an incredible in his life just a, his heart towards authority was, was incredible watch him and he wrote a book called Spiritual Authority uh, and uh, in it he has got these 10 commandments of spiritual authority now this book has been abused uh, by certain movements uh, and actually I was exposed to one significantly when I was a younger believer I don't think it's around in the same form anymore but anyway, Watchmen's book has some deep insight into it that's very powerful and that's basically that uh, you know, subjection to authority uh, is in God's economy is often it's subjecting yourself to God himself and that when you rebel against authority you're actually rebelling against yes, even if it's an impure manifestation of God's authority through a human channel uh it's actually rebellion against God. And so you want to be looking to recognize spiritual authority around you and willingly place yourself under it. Uh, and again, it's not, not that it's, you don't ever move along, not that you tolerate abuse. We're not saying that. But uh, there's a lot about authority and rebellion against authority uh, in Scripture. And, uh, but you want to monitor your heart towards authority. And I think David models that for us in a beautiful way. Because remember, the f- opening words of the New Testament are, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of God. Uh, broken. The humble. It's out of I, I'm. I'm desperate. I'm powerless. It's that sense of of, of you know. AA step one. I uh, that, that's the whole New Testament. Everything flows out of that. That I am absolutely impoverished. I'm the poorest of the poor. That without God, I've got nothing. And so when you approach authority in that spirit. Uh, even regardless of you saying something, even appealing for a change, you're coming at it with such a spirit, it's gracious and it's kind and it's loving and it's meek, it's humble. And God wants to do that in you and in me more than anything. So that's why, you know, boards and I I consider gifts and I listen to, always listen to our board, uh, as they bring any kind of direction, I ask for counsel as God's coming to me. Not that I don't dialogue, but that it's very critical, uh, from my own heart. Okay, number six uh, is I think David would say to us that Sabbath, Sabbath rhythms are actually a matter of life and death, that Sabbath rhythms are a matter of life and death. Now, a Sabbath uh, is, 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 of course, a spiritual practice, a 24 hour period where I stop, rest, delight, contemplate God on a weekly basis. But it's actually a, a larger metaphor for something much larger. It's a metaphor for understanding life. Uh, that we need rest. You know, there could be a Sabbath afternoon, there could be a Sabbath hour, a Sabbath walk, anything that preserves the experience of this lifelong nourishment and rest that we need. So it's not just the absence of work, it's actually the presence of something. So the, the Sabbath rhythms uh, really are a matter of life and death. And so there's a story in uh, uh, 1 Samuel 30 where David is running for his life and he demonstrates you know great leadership at this, uh, it's called the Besor Ravine, He's under great pressure. He's just returned from battle with his 600 men, and he's got another battle in front of him, another crisis. But he's got 200 men who are exhausted. And so he marches them to this Bessor ravine and allows them to rest. And then the rest of his men, he and his men 400, they go out and defeat the Malachites. And then they come back, and he declares that those who are resting at the Besser Ravine, they're equals with him, and they share equally in the spoils of his victory. And what's so beautiful about this is he he has a, a deep respect for Sabbath rhythms and the importance of them and the importance of rest. And, and so in the same way that long-term great leadership, uh, we listen to our body. We've got this, yes, a Sabbath practice, but more than that, even a larger metaphor sense this understanding of the need for rest, Sabbath rest, and again, not just for a, a practice of a day a week, twenty-four hour period, but seasons, uh, afternoons, naps, but just seeing my life as a this rhythm of work and Sabbath, work and Sabbath, and so I I've got this always this awareness of my doing for God, I'm doing activity, but I'm, I'm being. And that's why listening to our bodies is so important because so often our body is is screaming before our minds actually catch up. So I could feel myself exhausted or depressed or edgy or irritable. And often it's because of a lack of rest or lack of Sabbath rhythm. And David had a, a sensitivity and a graciousness to him, not just for himself, but for his uh, fighting men, uh, for his army, those who were, he was leading to recognize when there was a need for rest and those, and those within that, his army, that actually needed rest. Great, great lesson. All right, seventh uh lesson I think David would bring to us is, hey, find Jonathans, that is mentors or encouragers, at every season of your journey. You know, find Jonathans or mentors or encouragers at every season of your journey, journey, journey. Now, if you know the story of David, Jonathan served as a key encourager to David at a very difficult time. Uh, and in fact, but we all, we, and we all need that. We all need Jonathans, men, women, mentors, counselors, spiritual directors, great friends that can keep us aligned with God's purpose for our lives e- even when we're under great pressure and even when we're not under great pressure just to just to to be in, to help us move along we're just we're, we're interdependent in the body of Christ and when we find ourselves in leadership uh we, we just have a lot coming at us and uh, we need it more desperately th- than others and again think of the body of Christ we're interdependent we're we're not just leaders over here in an, an arm or a you know, a leg or a, a heart, you know, isolated from everybody else. We, we are part of this body. And so uh, the, we, we need this heart of a learner of humility. I, I think it's one of the most critical qualities for leadership is uh, I'm, I'm hungry to learn. I'm humble enough to learn. Uh, when I meet uh, someone who is a selective learner, they just want to learn certain things, but they're not totally open to learn whatever it's scary because it's a character issue. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to be mentored and look for people who may say things that you don't want to hear, uh, that you prefer not to hear. I definitely have not liked uh, all of my mentors and things they have said to me. I have liked them, but I've not liked what they've said to me. Uh, and you want to ask God for Jonathan's, so, you know, who at this season of your journey, and hopefully you have a, perhaps more than one, but multiple people that can serve you at this season of where you are in your leadership. Uh, and I would encourage you to be mentored by dead people. That By that means, I mean, talking about like in history and books. And uh, I was just reading just recently about Gregory of Nazianus, one of the uh, Cappadocian fathers, fourth century. Uh, and uh, he was a bishop as well as a theologian. He was a monk. And just his, his story, I just was like so struck by it because... He's constantly running away from being a bishop and being involved in all this leadership stuff. He wants to be a monk. He wants to be a seeker of God. He wants to spend his life in prayer. Uh, And he's going – and we see him just going back and forth, you know, contemplative monk in a monastery, major leadership controversies, you know, and battling and and being pulled back and forth. But it's his heart that I was so moved by that he was just so passionate for God – uh, again, much like David, and you know he's like it was, such a, it was such an encouragement to me. And I'm finding the older I get, the more I want to be with God, and I, and I get it. Um, what was going on in his life? So anyway, it was great encouragement. Okay, number eight um, is to uh, ten, eighth lesson. I think David would share with us is to be very careful with uh, the power of the temptations around you, uh, the demonic powers around you. Be very careful. Uh, there's a great saying that one of my mentors, uh, a wise mentor of mine, uh, shared with me, and uh, he learned this lesson the hard way, and it was this: uh, unguarded strength is double weakness. Unguarded strength is double weakness. In other words, where you are strong, uh, in his case, it was his marriage. Uh, he was quite strong in his marriage, and he ended up, uh, you know, falling uh, into uh, sin. And, uh, you know, violating his covenant, that sort of place, the last place he ever expected to be tempted. And David's life is, you know, his great fall is one of one of his great falls was when his things were going very well for him. And uh, but he got sloppy and uh, he ends up seeing Bathsheba. And when he should have been at war with his men. Uh, and he ends up committing adultery and murder, etc. I like what C. S. Lewis says in Screwtape Letters, he he says, the, the the softest road to hell is a gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, and without sudden sudden turnings, without signposts. In other words, it's is very slow. Uh, but make no mistake about it, there are demonic powers that want to cut you off from Jesus. Uh, and uh, so you so you know the 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 Lord's Prayer, deliver us uh, from evil, uh, lead me not into temptation. A daily prayer, the Lord's prayer. You know, David uh, was not careful uh, in his home life. He was not careful. He ended up counting the fighting men. Uh, disaster uh, just fell into it because everybody else was counting. I'm sure all the nations around David were counting their fighting men and the size of their army, and he just did it too. Rather than again, just trust in the Lord, there were horrific consequences for that. And Um, And so you want to build into your life, again, uh, a rule of life. And uh, if you've not read the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, let me encourage you to pick that up. But you want to build into your life uh, a life with God, again, with structure around you and protection uh, of your own power. Because leadership is about power. But be very careful about the power of temptation. Great lesson. I think Dave would clearly say that to all of us in this room. Ninthly, uh, Dave would say this as a lesson is, hey lead out of the reality of loss and grief and suffering. We lead out of that reality. We're in reality about grief, loss, and suffering. And again, David was such a uh, so emotionally aware of what was going on inside of him and what was going on around him. That's why two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. Uh, two-thirds, imagine that, two-thirds of the 150 Psalms are laments or complaints or griefs. Uh, David lives in reality about the losses going on around him. So we see, for example, in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 1 and 2, when saul and jonathan are killed in battle he commands his troops to stop there he grieves and uh, so as some of you may know a big theme of emotionally healthy discipleship is enlarge your soul through grief and loss and david is really in touch with grief and loss at the same time he's in touch with a living god and so we believe in the resurrection uh but there's also we we hold that tension of this great suffering in the world and and we we, we enter into it we feel it we we, we, we join with people in suffering with them, whether it's personal, whether it's uh, in our communities, whether it's in our cities, country, the world. Uh, we bring it to God, but we lead out of that reality. We're not sugarcoating it. We're not giving cliches. Uh, at the same time, we we believe in the resurrection, and we hold that before people. Because uh, Again, this is why emotionally healthy discipleship is so critical, because you've got to get this foundation laid in your life, and you want to lead out of it, as David did. But we hold in the fact that he is risen from the dead, and um, uh, that's part of what we bring to the to the discussion of loss and the grief of loss. And here's a tenth lesson uh, that I think David would give to us uh, as leaders. He would say to us, "Listen, cultivate generosity uh, in your life. Uh, cultivate generosity in your life." I mean, we, we see this brilliantly in uh, in First Chronicles 29 uh, as an offering has been taken. Uh, for the building of the temple and David goes first uh, and then his leaders follow. Then he asks all the congregation to follow, but uh, he's an incredibly generous person. I mean, he gives 110 tons of gold and 260 tons of silver. I mean, he is just, uh, he is just so generous financially and he he understands the power of money. Uh, Every culture and every society and all of history has been dominated by money and economics. Uh, it's why Jesus referred to it as a God. And so we as leaders, you want to get out of debt, you want to spend less than you make, and you want to be generous. Uh, we we lead in our generosity and uh, modeling for that. And and I want to encourage you to, to hear that word. And if you've, if you've got anything out of order in your finance in terms of debt, you want to get some mentors and counselors in that area immediately. It's one of the key foundations of leadership is how we handle our own money and how we model it before people, because make no mistake about it, uh, money is a god, and you can't serve both God and uh, Mammon. Uh, but we want to we want to be the most generous people in the earth uh, for our whole lives. We want to be models of that just by the way that we live. But it's got to be cultivated, and David did that. So let me just summarize this as I close and make a few comments. Here's a ten leadership lessons from David that I that I've got for you today. That I think he would say to us, and he would say to you. Uh, today one is be yourself David was himself number two is be faithful in the little remember the lion and the bear number three wait on the Lord and take the long view number four uh cultivate your love for God first then lead second. number five you'd say monitor your heart towards those in authority that God's placed uh, around you uh, number six uh your your Sabbath rhythms, are a matter of life and death. Uh, Number seven, you want to find Jonathan. You want to find encouragers and mentors at at this season of your journey. Who are they? Who might God have for you? Uh, Number eight is is be very careful about the power of temptation. Uh, Unguarded strength is double weakness. And and what are some areas that are temptations for you right now that you just need to uh, avoid, you need to protect yourself against, Uh, you need to be very, very careful. Uh, Number eight, uh, I'm sorry, number ninth lesson is to lead. David would say, lead out of the reality of the suffering and loss and grief around you. Uh, Don't skim on it, don't minimize it, uh, but lead out of that place. And number 10 is cultivate generosity. So again, as we close, let me encourage you to, uh, uh, two things, one is on July 10th on a Tuesday, uh, on a Zoom, we will. I will do a podcast on growing and differentiation, a key to great leadership. We'll touch on some of these lessons, and it'll be time for questions and answers. I want to encourage you to send them to me on Twitter and Facebook, and I'll respond to a few of them. I'll speak probably 15, 20 minutes, summarize this whole thing of differentiation, and then we'll do a and a It'll be phenomenal. I've already got a few coming at me. And then uh, I want to env- encourage you to sign up for one of our monthly trainings on how to lead the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course Uh, with your leaders with your team with your ministry with your church Uh, we believe that is the foundation of all leadership and our greatest contribution uh, to the global church is a discipleship that deeply changes people for the sake of the world out of which comes mission leadership healthy teams healthy cultures everything flows out of great discipleship so join us at emotionallyhealthy.org so thank you very much it's been great to be with you here today at the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast and I look forward to talking to you again next week God bless you